Hello and welcome to today's edition of HIV Matters. HIV Matters explores the current issues people living with HIV experience that impacts on their quality of life. The podcast is hosted by me, Michelle Croston, Associate Professor of Nursing at the University of Nottingham. I have a long history of working in HIV care and will be joined on the podcast by leading professionals and activists in the field of HIV that I've had the pleasure of working with throughout my career. HIV Matters is supported by an unrestricted educational grant from VIVE. VIVE has had no input into speakers or content. It gives me great pleasure to introduce our podcast guest today, Angelina. Originally from Kenya, Angelina has over 24 years experience of working in the HIV sector and a variety of different initiatives, ranging from providing one-to-one support, treatment advocacy, managing service delivery to facilitating and promoting the advocacy and involvement of women living with HIV in informing local and international strategies and policies. Angelina is the founding member of the Forum Network for Mental Mothers Living with HIV. Angelina also sits on a variety of national and international advisory boards. These include being patron of the National HIV Nurses Association, a lay member of the Women's Network for the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, and is a member of the international and annual group Women and HIV Workshop. Angelina has also been a community representative on the British HIV Association and is a trustee of the National AIDS Trust, Salamander Trust and Safe Kenya. She is an amazing human being and I'm delighted for her to join me on the podcast today. So thank you, Angelina. I hope I have done your bio justice. And I think for me that the time we started working together was when you became the patron of the National HIV Association. So thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Michelle. So I'm delighted that you're here to talk about some of the work that you're doing to shed a light on um, the amazing projects that you're involved in. And prior to preparing for the podcast, I looked at some of the statistics and I was surprised to learn that in the UK and Ireland, just over a thousand women living with HIV each year are pregnant, which is absolutely amazing news when I think about when I first started in HIV care. But I was also saddened to read that often these women focus quite a lot of negativity around their pregnancy, focusing mainly on baby becoming negative as as a result of safe pregnancy. While I understand that's really important in care, I also am a firm believer in the um, needs of women during pregnancy. So I'm aware from our conversations, Angelina, that you're the founding member of a project called 4M Mothers. For our listeners, are you able to tell us more about the 4M Mentor Mothers Programme? Yeah, thank you very much, Michelle. And yes, I'm delighted to share about the Forum Mental Mothers program. So Forum Mental Mothers Network, CIC, is a perinatal peer mentoring program working with women living with HIV, where Forum stands for my health, my choice, my child, my life. What we do is we provide support and mentoring to women in the UK and some internationally, including but not limited to support relating to pregnancy, parenting, mental health, sexual and reproductive health, and HIV and HIV-related issues. We do this through the delivery of pregnancy journey workshops and train the trainer workshops for mentor mothers, mentoring, we provide them with support, capacity building and supervision as well as advocacy. And we also collaborate with partnerships uh, with service providers on women, pregnancy, mental health, SRHR and HIV, and other closely related issues. So we don't work in a silo. We like to collaborate with other um, service providers. 
But what we also do is we provide women with monthly group supervision information sessions named uh, date nights by one of the mentor mothers. And we also provide them with one-to-one supervision as and when needed. We are also very much committed to ensuring the meaningful involvement of the women that we work with, as well as ensuring that they not only support their peers, but that we, are, we build up the skills and capacity for their own personal development. And the mentor mothers that we work with are involved throughout all aspects of our work. We also do our utmost best to amplify the voice and visibility of women living with HIV in forums where decisions about our health and care are made. So for, if you know people like your listeners would like more information about the work that we do, they can visit our website at 4mmm.org. Very simple. I'll drop that in the description of the podcast as well for our listeners who want to access that website and find out more about this great project. So one of the things that I became really aware of, and it is probably through working with yourself, Angelina, about the importance of the language that we use when speaking to people living with HIV. And I'm thinking in particular during that, what can be a quite a vulnerable journey for, for people in, on their pregnancy journey? So from your point of view, I'm just wondering how important is language when speaking to people living with HIV? I think language is incredibly important, particularly when you're talking about either women living with HIV or just people living with HIV, because language shapes the way we think, the way we speak, how we see ourselves, how others see us. And it has the potential to, for many, to either make or break. And when I say that, I just mean that if I use very derogative language against you, of course, it's going to affect you and your self-esteem and how you feel about yourself. So language is really important because the reality is that um, even though we've come a long way in terms of the progress that we've made around treatment for HIV, around services, around things that we can do to enable people to live well with HIV, unfortunately, we haven't got a pill for stigma. So the stigma around against people living with HIV still persists, unfortunately, even though it's, we're talking about 40 years down the line. And so part of the stigma is around also how the language that is used um, to describe people living with HIV. So for instance, you know, some people still tend to use the term people with AIDS. I mean, people don't live with AIDS. They live, AIDS is a collection of um, illnesses you can get when your immune system is compromised. People live with HIV. You know, there's things like, for example, when one of the things that um, troubles a lot of people living with HIV is once they find out they li- they've been diagnosed with HIV, they find it really challenging to tell either their family or significant others about their status. And, you know, if you look at other illnesses, for example, um, anybody else diagnosed with any other long-term condition, usually the first thing they want to do is to go home to their nearest and dearest and tell them. But with HIV, unfortunately, it's not the case because for many years, many people who have gone on and told people about the status have been ostracized, have been thrown out of homes, you know, you name it, all the negative stuff that happens. But this is something that we know, you know, at some point or other, people living with HIV will need to share it with somebody else. And so currently the language that people often refer to, they will say, oh, they'll ask you, have you disclosed to somebody else? And the term disclose itself, if you look at language, it's a very negative term. It's a loaded term. It's a legal term. So if I came to you, Michelle, and said, Michelle, I want to disclose something to you. I mean, I'm guessing you probably still think, oh, already start thinking, oh, what does she want to tell me? But if you think about it, if I say to you, Michelle, I want to share something with you, I'm guessing probably it kind of sounds a bit lighter. So I think in terms of language, even if we start changing the way we use the term, so if I came to you and say, I want to share my state, I want to share something with you, and I want to tell you that I'm living with HIV. I, I'm, for many people, I think the way they would take it would be very different from if I said I'm going to disclose to you. So um, that's just one of the terms. The other term 
people use is zero discordant couples. Um, this usually is a term which is used to describe people in a relationship whereby one partner is living with HIV, the other one is not. But if you think about it, there's nothing discordant about this couple. The only thing is that they have different HIV statuses. And so, you know, why use a negative term to describe them? As far as I'm concerned, there's no good word that starts with this, apart from disco, of course. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so now is important. I mean, the other term that uh, people tend to use is mother-to-child transmission. So that itself already places the owner's responsibility on the mother alone. Whereas we know that in a relationship or making a baby takes two most of the time. Instead of using that, we prefer to focus on the, the act itself, the transmission, vertical transmission, whatever time you want to use, but don't place the responsibility on the mom. But even just the way people talk about us is they will say HIV positive people, they always place the illness before us. But it's important to put us because we're human beings first before we're illness. So I think language is incredibly important and we need to be looking at alternative ways of we use to describe us or things that relate to HIV because they can have an impact on people's lives. Thank you for sharing that. And I think you're right, you know, definitely when I first started coming into HIV care, there was words that we just used all the time, like um, disclosure, mother to child transmission. And it's only when we kind of step back and think about the impact of these words that we realise actually we've, we've got a role to play in reducing stigma and also mm-hmm. the impact that it has on other people's lives as well. With that in mind, Angelina, do you have any best practice tips that you can share with our listeners when caring for women living with HIV or in just in general? Some tips, I guess, just regular things that you can do when caring for women living with HIV. I think the first thing to do is to listen. And when I say listen, is to really listen, uh, not listening to respond, but actually to really listen, to hear what the woman has to say. And I think it's also important to empathize rather than overly sympathize, if you can. I think it's also really important not to be judgmental because we know the nature of the of HIV as it is, people over the years have tended to be very judgmental and place um, people living with HIV in certain boxes that you must have done something wrong to get HIV. You know, you, you know what I mean? They've always considered people living with HIV as the others. So it's important not to be judgmental and not to moralize because at the end of the day, HIV is a virus. It's not a moral issue. It just treat people as human beings first rather than just start thinking, well, you know, what is it that you did um, to get HIV? And just, I just want to use a small example. Um, when I started being open about my status in the beginning, I, used, I would do interviews and many journalists, the, one of the first questions they would ask me is, how do you get HIV? How did you get HIV? And this is what a lot of people tend to do. And it's not just around journalists, just most people will, that's the first question they'll ask you, you know, even providers, how did you get it? But I don't think that's the most important question that you can ask people um, because what is important is about how they live with HIV. And so in the beginning, I would get really upset about it. And then at, at the end of the day, I thought, you know what, okay, I need to change this narrative. So the next time a journalist asked me, I, I said, the reason I have HIV is not because of what I did, because that is what people are assuming you did something wrong. The reason I got HIV is not because of what I did, it's because of what I didn't do. And what I didn't do was what millions of young people my age were not doing. I didn't use a condom. That's why I got HIV. So I just wanted the journalist to see that actually it's not about... I'm not like uh, an alien or somebody different. I'm just like any other young people because I was diagnosed in my early 20s. I was was still a very young woman. So I was just like any other young woman. So so important not to ask how people got HIV unless it's relevant to your care. Actually, I don't think that 
actually is really that important. I think the other tip that I would give about when caring for women living with HIV is to ask them what their priorities for support are. This is because women living with HIV face a myriad of issues, you know, the diagnosis itself going back home to tell the partner. Some of them may have children, so they're thinking about testing their children. Um, some of them may be diagnosed in pregnancy, so they're going to worry about the pregnancy and all that that entails. Some of them may be experiencing domestic violence. Some of them may be having immigration issues. Some of them may be living in poverty. So, you know, all sorts of issues, right? So when a woman living with HIV uh, rocks up at your place of care, it's really important to provide or offer support that's based on their priorities, not your as a carer's priority, because if, she, if someone comes with all these issues that I've just named, perhaps in, in yourself, it, but, you know, with all the best intention in the world, you might think, well, actually, out of all these six issues, I think the domestic violence is the most important one, or I think the housing is the most important. But actually, you need to ask the woman, because for her, maybe the most important issue there would be bus fare to get to the clinic. You know what I mean? So it's really important to provide support based on them. And ask them, just ask uh, the woman, you know, you've got all these issues, which one would you like me to support you with first? It's also very important to be honest if as a carer or a supporter, you don't know much about HIV, because even for us as patients, We've had to learn along the way with our clinicians as well. So some patients are very well clued up because they spend a lot of time reading up and, you know, getting themselves informed. But you can't expect every single healthcare provider, every single, you know, carer or person in the caring position to know a lot about HIV. So if, if you meet a woman you need to support and you don't really know much about HIV, just be honest about it. Ask for clarification about things. And I had, you know, one of the things we've talked about already is about being mindful of the language that you use. And I'm not saying that people use um, negative language knowingly or intentionally. Actually, it's just the language we've used over the years, Michelle, as you've mentioned. So it's just being mindful about the kind of language you use because um, for the person, the woman you're supporting may already be have very low self-esteem. They may already be in a very dark place. And so any little negative thing that you do, I'm not saying that we should walk on eggshells, but it's just being aware. And I think one other important tip I can share is um, it's really important to refer them to peer support because you as a healthcare provider or as a social care provider, you may have all the tools and the support and the, the funds, et cetera. And that's absolutely fantastic. But there's no equating the, the impact that uh, peer support or um, can have, you know, like referring this woman to somebody who's walked in their shoes, I think is really important. And sometimes you may offer it to them and they may say, I don't want to see other women. In fact, I'm just going to digress a little bit. I used to know this wonderful midwife who used to support a lot of women who are diagnosed with pregnancy or having babies. But And um, she used to, one of the things she would do is, you know, I'd like to refer you on to peer support or to a support group or, you know, you name it, so that they can get to meet other women. And some women would be like, no, 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 I'm not going to that support group. I may find somebody who knows me. (laughs) She used to make me laugh. So maybe this woman would be from a country, I don't know whether it's Africa or India, wherever it is they're from. And uh, so she would ask them, so you said you may find somebody somebody there who knows you. So in your home country, were you a celebrity? (laughs) <laughs> because even if you had the smallest country in Africa, there's still quite a few million people, right? So, I mean, the fact that you think, but if, and even if you meet somebody that you know in this group, um, that woman is there for exactly the same reason that you're there for. 
So she's unlikely to go out there and say, I made, met Mary in the support group because what are you doing? Do you know what I mean? So it's about changing mind, mindsets. And when women are reluctant to access peer support, you can talk through some of their fears and also try and allay them and maybe leave them until they're ready. But at least, you know, plant that seed that actually I can provide you with all these social care things, these healthcare things. But I think you get a lot more if you can actually just speak to somebody else who's going through the same journey as you are. Thank you so much. I, I, I completely agree. And I, I know in our time together, you've kindly supported women that I've been supporting in my nursing role and the benefits and the outcomes for women who've had that peer support has been amazing. So thank you for that. You're welcome. So recently, Angelina, we collaborated on an article that explored health-related quality of life issues for women. Mm -hmm. So just kind of building on what you've talked about, about the multiple issues that women living with HIV may face. Mm -hmm. As a team um, writing the article, there was so much that we could have included, but we did have to make some pragmatic decisions about what to include. And we used the biopsychosocial model as a way to kind of frame the article. However, from your point of view, were there issues that you think that we should have included that we perhaps maybe didn't have the word count for? Gosh, there's usually so, so many issues, but I just think, first of all, I think it's really, really, really important to to be having these conversations about some of the issues that women um, experience because for me, living and thriving with HIV is just more than just taking pills and having an undetectable viral load, right? Women live, women's lives are really, really multifaceted. Um, we are lovers, we are carers, we are mothers, we are sisters, we are grandparents, we are aunties, you name it. We are so many things to so many people. And so when we talk about quality of life and we, all we're focusing on is undetectable viral load, we're living a whole um, part of the woman's life. Um, and I think the more open conversations we have, the more we can start to continue to address these issues and look at um, providing holistic care. So because I mean, if I start mentioning, I mean, I mentioned some of the issues earlier on, but it's about enabling women to live their best lives right whatever that looks like for each individual woman so you know for me living my best life might be just having a roof over my head and having a book to read you know what i mean for another woman it might be having food on the table um on a regular basis for another woman it might be having being in a in a good relationship for another woman it might be maybe having a child for another woman it might be having a few cats you know what i mean i'm i'm, I'm trivializing it but you know what i mean beyond it's beyond just the treatment uh, as absolutely fantastic and they enable us to to live well yeah. but we can't just live on pills alone um there's so many other things that we need as women um to actually have holistic lives thank you for that yeah completely agree there is wider discussions to have around this topic and within the article we did try and open um some discussions around a new concept, a new or maybe not so new concept about the idea of providing care in a trauma-informed way. So for our listeners who are not familiar with what we mean by the term trauma-informed care, it's providing care, as Angelina said, in a very holistic way, thinking about the person or the woman in front of you in at the centre of their care, but also acknowledging that we may have all had experiences of traumatic events 
and attempt to kind of provide care in a way that doesn't re-traumatize that person. So creating these trusting and respectful relationships. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on this approach to care. Mm, my thoughts in a nutshell, I think it's absolutely, um, it's, it's a great way, it's a great approach. And I think it's imperative that we provide um, trauma-informed care, you know. Trust and respect are key in all types of relationships, but even more so in care. Because as women living with HIV, we spend um, a significant part of our lives in care or with care providers, right? So it's important, therefore, that uh, women are able to feel safe and respectfully cared for. Um, but I think, if correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's also part and parcel of the, I call them, what is it, the, I think they're called the six C's of nursing, those principles and pillars. Yeah, Let me see if right. I can remember them right. So there's the care, so the holistic care, mm-hmm. the compassion, yeah. there's courage, yeah. there's communication yeah. uh, with critical thinking, there's commitment and there's competence. And um I I know that I'm more, I guess, more than many people um, really, really um, very much appreciate, and I'm sure lots more people do appreciate just how much nurses actually stick to these um, pillars because I was a long-time inpatient not long ago. For about six months, I was an inpatient in different hospitals, London, and mm. I can tell you without the shadow of a doubt that those nurses, it didn't matter which hospital I was in, I would say majority of the nurses that I that, that crossed my path during my stay in the hospitals actually practice all these things. And I felt, you know, I felt safe. Um, I felt safe and I felt respected because there'll always be one or two outliers, but that's life, isn't it? But for me, generally, my experience, and I have to again stop and just say a huge thank you to all the healthcare providers, of course. And But as this is a nursing podcast, I want to also just stop and say thank you very much to all those nurses who looked after me um, at the Homerton Hospital, at the Royal London. Can I, can I say that? Of course you can. Homerton Hospital at the Royal London, at UCL, at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery, um, and at the Maldmay um, Hospital in London, Maldmay Mission Hospital in London, I was I went through their care for months. It was not a very easy um, experience. It was very challenging for me. But um, those nurses and those healthcare providers who looked after me, um, I really, really appreciate that. And that's how I felt. In a way, coming back to what we are talking about right now, I really did feel that um, the way I was treated um, was with care. And uh, with compassion, and I really, I really appreciate that. I just I don't want to go on too much, but I just wanted to, to just stop and appreciate um, the nurses who treated me when I was in. Yeah, I would just like to take a moment to say thank you to all the wonderful nurses and healthcare professionals that looked after my amazing friend. I'm delighted that you did, and she's here <laughs> with us today, um, to share her stories with me. So thank you from us and all at HIV Matters for your wonderful care. So just reflecting on some of the high points of my career, Angelina, and also working with you has been definitely up there with the highlights of my career. So one of them, um, a project that we did together was called um, HIV is Just Part of Her. Mm. For those listeners who have not accessed this resource, I can drop that in the description for you. But essentially, it was a series of videos that explores the lives 
of women living with HIV. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, for our listeners, Angelina, are you able to share any of the high points of your work that you've been involved in so far? Cool. Thanks, Michelle. I mean, I, I, I must also say that working with you has been a high point of my life and it continues to be. Um, um, I really, really do love working with you. And I'm not just saying that for the sake of it. I really do appreciate our um, collaboration, you know, our friendship, but more than that, um, the professionalism with which you work. But for me, in terms of highs, gosh, there have been so many highs. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try and go through some of the ones that I can remember, right? Um, I think one of the first highs I feel over the years, because I've worked in the sector for many years, I think for me, the trust that women, the women and the young people living with HIV who have come across in my years uh, within the sector, working in the sector, I think the trust they give me by allowing me into their lives and sharing their lives and issues so openly in order to enable me to provide the support or to refer them on, I think that's quite a high for me. Um, it's also one of the other highs is just seeing women access support after a diagnosis, for example, or when they're to a service. Most of the time they're at a low, they're broken, you know, self-esteem is shot to pieces, no self-confidence. But for me, watching them benefit from peer support and watching them blossom and in turn then move on to start supporting others and their peers, you know, it's just for me, that's uh, quite, it's like a high that I feel I cannot even describe properly. But I've had so many other highs. I've, you know, the numerous of which I'm very grateful for the numerous opportunities I've been given or exposed to that have enabled me to travel both locally, nationally, and internationally, and to work with women both um, from grassroots level and to speak on what right all the way up to speaking on world stages. And, you know, the opportunity to contribute on various advisory boards as a community representatives. And also, of course, um, I've had ample opportunities to co-author papers in peer-reviewed journals. I think those are highs for me because um, it as much as, um, you know, you do when when I was able to work full-time, I, you know, I would do my work every day. I think it's also good to get these also different opportunities. Um, I think other highs include the many... In- additional opportunities that I've been given to do my advocacy work and activism. Um, I often joke and say to my friends that I'm a smiling activist uh, because, (laughs) of course, sometimes when people talk about activists, they conjure up this figure of angry people shouting and demanding rights. But actually, you do need the shouting angry activists, but you also need the smiling ones. We all work together. So I tend to think I've been given opportunities to do my smiling activism. But also the numerous conferences I've attended and learned from, those have been highs because that has meant that I learn from the conferences, but I also bring back the learning to our network of women living with HIV, which in turn means they then can cascade the learning further. Um, one of the biggest highlights, I think, for me is also being lucky to meet with and work with, oh my God, the most amazing groups of women living with HIV from all corners of the world and also with healthcare professionals like yourself, Michelle, and many other lovely HIV clinicians and who have been and continue to be allies. A um, couple more things, and I know I'm, I'm going to forget lots of things, but I'll just share a couple more things. I think for me, the opportunity to access treatment, peer support, and the courage to be a mom to a very beautiful, talented daughter. That's been a very high for me in my journey. Um, but last but not least, um, and I reiterate, just looking at the women living with HIV, their journeys, you know, 
seeing them grow and smile and shine makes me smile all the time. Um, it really is what gives me the drive to keep on going and to do what I do when I'm able to. I mean, I'm not going to lie, it can be challenging, <laughs> can be emotionally draining, it can be frustrating at times, but it's absolutely the most amazing, fulfilling role that you can have. I think for me, the sisterhood is absolutely second to none and it is real and it's valuable and it's valued and it's respected, you know, all that, all those things that we like. Um, yeah, so those are just some of the high points in the work that I've done over the years and uh, why I do what I do when I'm able to. And why I think it's really important that we continue doing what we do in all our different ways, you know, the different stakeholders, so that we can improve the quality of life women, of women living with HIV. Angelina, every time we speak, I'm completely amazed and blown away about the depth and breadth of the work that you do. I'm just wondering for our listeners, are you able to share any projects that you're currently working on or are in the process of developing? I think the first one is in collaboration with Positively UK, the organisation. Maybe you can share that in the, like, for people if they want to go and have a look at that. And... Possibly UK, the NAS project, London, Sophia Forum, and ourselves are involved in this project called Bearded and Flushed. <laughs> and it's really a project that is specifically around working with HIV, women with HIV going through the menopause. But it's, 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 a, it's a, an innovative project whereby women do creative writing, they produce pieces of writing, they do filming. It's a much more fun way of raising awareness of HIV and the menopause than traditionally has been. So, um, and we're continuing to do some work with that. So really love that project. There's another, something else we're doing also with Possibly UK and uh, HIV iBase, which is a treatment um, information organization, which is set up and run and facilitated by people living with HIV, which provides HIV treatment in language that patients can understand and more, of course. So we're going to be um, updating the um, HIV and pregnancy booklet. So to bring it up to speed in terms of, uh, it's just updating it because HIV based produce information resources, which also include around treatments, but I'm just focusing on that one because the pregnancy one, because that's the area of work that I do on a day-to-day -day basis. A couple more projects that we're working on. Um, so for the with the forum network, we've been lucky. We've, we've had some funding because part of the work that we do as forum is to do information webinars, primarily for our mental mothers, but also this can be accessed by, you know, other women living with HIV. So we've been lucky to get some funding from Viva Healthcare, who uh, we're going to be doing a series of webinars called Women, Our Relationship with Treatment and Wellbeing. It's the, the Knowledge is Power webinar series. These are webinar series which are going to be looking at different aspects of treatment for women. So we'll do six webinars every month starting. We've just done the first one was about good doctor-patient relationships. And then we've got five more lined up until June. So I think that's a project that uh, Forum Network are very, um, we're really looking forward to doing this. And I think the good thing is that um, part of as part of that project, we are going to continue building up the skills of the mentor mother. So they will be involved in the planning, the delivery, and the facilitation of the webinars. So we really like to make sure that um, we're passing on the skills to our mental mothers. And then the final project, although it's not the final one, but another one that I'm really looking forward to is um, one that has been funded by Fast Track Cities. It's the Stigma Empowerment Training Program um, to address stigma, which we're going to be doing in partnership with NAM, National AIDS Manual, and other organizations in a community practice model 
where all the work we're going to do will be utilize participatory, creative, person-centered approaches with a mixture of virtual and face-to-face -face interactive methods of training and um, delivery. So that's just some of the projects that uh, ForumNet are involved in this year. I'm sure I've let out a lot of things, but yeah. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. That sounds like a really busy year ahead of you. So, <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners. And I will definitely keep you all informed of any updates from Angelina as well. So maybe later on in the year, you might be able to come back and give us some updates on that project. I really loved the menopause one, the bearded menopause one. And um, so I'll be looking forward to hearing more about that as well. Good. I can tell you, in fact, on, on Valentine's Day, we're going to have um, a session with the women who are part of the Bearded and Flash. It's called, it's called um, Love Letters to Our Lady to My Lady Parts. So the women have written love letters to their different lady parts, and that's gonna be it's gonna be open to anyone who wants to attend. It's gonna be on Valentine's Day. I can share with you the the link afterwards if you'd like. That would be brilliant. Thank you so much for that, Angelina. So thank you so much for joining me today on our HIV Matters podcast. Now it's time to get to know you a little bit better. Now, as I've mentioned, I've been fortunate enough to have years of friendship with you, but this is for our listeners. Can you name for our listeners something that brings you joy? Can I name a few things that bring me joy? Because there's lots of things that bring me joy. As many as you like, my lovely. Okay, so things that bring me joy, listening to music. Um, different genres, but I do love um, smooth jazz and I tend to listen to smooth jazz when I'm having a quiet time or if I'm doing some quiet, you know, reading, whatever, I love to listen to music. I love reading novels. Um, I love creating. Um, over the over the lockdown and also when I left hospital, I was quite um, housebound for a while. So I started creating things. I make you because your T-shirt, I do crocheting. Um, I'm, I've started crocheting um, snoods, just, and they don't look too bad actually. Um, I'll show you. Some, I'll show you some later. See what you think. So that I also love. I love the theatre. Um, going to the theatre. I'll watch. I love musicals, but I'll watch anything that's good, really. So I uh, watched quite a few things actually lately with my broken leg. <laughs> Went to see the Bob Marley musical. Um, went to see Pride and Prejudice or Not. I went to see Moulin Rouge. I went to see The Life of Pi. You know, it's just like I think for me when I was in the hospital, there were things that went through my mind and I thought if I ever come out of here alive, God willing, I would like to appreciate every day and take every opportunity or any chance to do things that make me happy because mm. I know it's corny, but tomorrow is not promised to any of us. So I do. If I get an opportunity, I go. But I also like watching crime, uh, solving murder, myst murder mysteries. It's not that I like, I don't condone crime or murder, but what it is, is about, I like watching how the detectives solve the mysteries. And I also like cooking and eat. I love eating, eating, eating gives me joy. And of course, the occasional glass of Prosecco. <laughs> Oh, wonderful things to bring you joy. You, men you mentioned earlier that you're a keen reader. Could you share with our listeners a book that you've been reading recently? So a book I've been reading recently is called The Sex Lives of African Women by the lovely author. Her name is Nana, N-A-N-A, Darkoa, D-A-R-C-O-A, K-O-A, Sekiyama, S-E-K-Y-I-M-A. 
So the Sex Lives of African Women by Nana Dakoa Sekiyama. I really like, I love this book. Um, the reason I liked it is it's because it, um, it uniquely amplifies individual women from across the African conflict continent and its global diaspora. So she's done interviews with, I think it's about 31 women from different African countries, some who live in Africa and some who live in the diaspora. As they, So it amplifies their voices as they speak of their diverse experiences of sex, sexualities, and relationships. It provides a truly, in their words, in his words, truly deep insight into women's quest for freedom. And it also highlights the complex tapestry of African women's sexuality and bestows upon all women inspirational examples to live a truly liberated life. Because I think a lot of us have very set ideas about what African women's sexuality is, but this book completely opens your eyes. So I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. In fact, beg, borrow, steal. Okay, maybe not steal. Get one copy if you can. <laughs> I will definitely be checking out a copy of that after we've spoken tonight. <laughs> so thank you. You mentioned then about sometimes we can have um, fixed beliefs about how things should be. And I'm mindful we live in a world where we've got access to lots of different media, so social media, mm. podcasts, TV programs. I'm just wondering, apart from the book that you've just read, has mm. there been anything that you've listened to, watched or even read recently that has surprised you? Or made you think differently? Gosh, so many things. But I think it's not about this made me think differently, but I just I'm just glad that it happened. So there is a wonderful podcast series that was actually done by my friend and colleague Mark Thompson. Um, it's a series called uh, We Were Always Here, and it tracks the journey of HIV from well, from the beginning, but looking at communities or people living with HIV. Um that often are ignored um, and haven't been to the forefront and I'm not really doing it any justice. So I think if people could just go and look up, we were, we were, we were always here. Um, Mark Thompson is um, kind of the lead, but of course he works with other people. But it was, um, I just love the way that he put it together. I love the people that he interviewed. I love the way the story the cross from the beginning right up to the present time. I just love the content. And I'm not really a great um, podcast listener. I listen to, you know, a few, but this one is one that I just, I because she released um, every week, there was a different um, episode. And I looked forward to it and I would listen to it, I guess you could say religiously. So this is one podcast that I would really um, mm -hmm. recommend as well. We were always here and Mark Thompson leads on it. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that with our listeners, Angelina. I will make a note in the podcast notes of where you can find that podcast. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for joining us today on HIV Matters. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I would like to thank today's guest for joining me on HIV Matters. If you have any suggestions for guests you would like to see on the podcast, or if you fancy joining me on the show, please contact me at michelle.croston at nottingham.ac.uk. Throughout series one, our amazing guests have been sharing their favourite books with us. If you're anything like me, you'll have been busy trying to find these books in a variety of different bookstores. HIV Matters has teamed up with ukbookshop.org to create our own virtual bookstore, which is absolutely amazing. Because not only do we get to find the books that have been mentioned with ease, we also get to support local bookshops when ordering our books. 
If you'd like to learn more about the HIV Matters bookstore, then please click the link below for more information. Also at HIV Matters, we're really interested in hearing your views on different books that you've been reading. So please contact the show. How to contact the show is in the description below. If you'd like to find out more about Nivna, head over to their website at www.nivna.org. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to HIV Matters if you haven't already done so. HIV Matters is supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Vive. Vive has had no input into speakers or content. Today's podcast was edited by Daniel Heggie. A special thank you from all the team at HIV Matters. Until next time, thank you for listening and together we can make a difference.